Now back to our study, Nehemiah chapter 3. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. Uh, there's not much. Uh, you know, you can read the whole chapter. I encourage you to read the whole chapter. Let's just look at a few other gates, uh, for example. Look at verse 26, chapter 3. Moreover, Nathim, and Nathanum, uh, who dwelt in Ophel, made repairs as far as the place in front of the water gate toward the east on the, project, uh, on the projecting tower. After them, the Tekoites repaired another section next to the projecting tower and as far as Ophel. Beyond the horse gate, the priest made repairs in front of his own house. And we'll look at that next week, this uh, work that took place in front of each house. After them, Zadok, the son of Amir, uh, made repairs in front of his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, made repairs. And all the way down, you can see in verse 31, uh, the Mifkad gate, as far as the upper room in the corner, between the upper room, verse 32 in the corner, as far as the sheep gate. So we left off last week with uh, our favorite gate, the dung gate. <laughs> Not really, right? But it's the one that we probably produce the most of, like right? just our flesh. We produce the most of things that, uh, that unfortunately, even after we know the Lord, uh, we have a tendency uh, as that song says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, right? And not only prone to wander, but pro prone to sometimes produce things that are still part of the old flesh. But God has us keeping coming back to that throne of grace. Say, Lord, uh, take this heart. Cleanse me. Use me. Get the stuff out of me that's not a, the envy, the pride, the lust, the complaining, the whining, the worrying. Jesus said the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches will drag us down. He said that to everybody, by the way. Not just, well, that's just to those people. No, it's to everyone. And so we want to pick up where we left off, uh, the refuse gate or the dung gate, a very important gate uh, in our believing life because we do need to come daily to confession. I hopefully... Every day, this week, every day this week, you were saying, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, cleanse me, have mercy upon me. But we want to pick up with number six here, the fountain gate. The fountain gate. What is the fountain gate? Well, the fountain gate, uh, the sixth gate that's mentioned, and I don't think I read that. I think I picked up with the water gate, but uh, it's just before that. But you look at the whole list, and we're going to look at these last five, Lord willing, this morning. Uh, the fountain gate, the water gate, the horse gate, the east gate, and the inspection gate, also known as the Mifkad gate. But the fountain gate, this first one, it was a natural spring, and you can see on the map where it is. Uh, you have the um, refuse gate here, and there's the fountain gate, right? It's on the, this is your eastern wall, right? This is the eastern wall. See my little laser here? Our boys love lasers. They think they're fun. but uh, They are fun, but I'm not going to play with the laser all afternoon. But right here, uh, you would have the Mount of Olives, right? So if you're looking directly east, you've got the Mount of Olives there, and then you've got all the gravestones that go up uh, the Mount of Olives because um, in Jewish tradition, when the resurrection comes, uh, those in the east will rise first. We'll get to the east gate, and there's a lot of, a lot of that there. But you've got the Mount of Olives that slopes up from that whole eastern wall, but the first gate on the eastern wall is the fountain gate, and then we go all the way down there to the inspection gate or the Mifkad gate. But first with the fountain gate, 
what it was, was the fountain gate was a natural spring uh, that fed the pool of Shalom. Uh, the fountain gate is a picture of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's a picture of the presence of the Holy Spirit that fills us. We need that presence, don't we? Jesus promised in John chapter 14 that the Spirit would indwell all that belonged to him. Anyone that belongs to Jesus, the Spirit would indwell us. Every person, every believer who has been born again has the presence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's no exceptions to this. As Romans 8 9 tells us, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not of his. That's pretty clear, isn't it? If you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you don't belong to Jesus. If you have the Holy Spirit, you do belong to Jesus. And anyone that belongs to him has the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Remember that song? Same, same song. Take my heart now and seal it. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit of what? Promise. Of promise. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. Amen? You and I, we don't always keep them, do we? But God keeps his promises. He is our help. In every facet of life, the Holy Spirit is the help for everything we need. That's why one of his names is what? The helper. One of his names. But in addition to the promise of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit, the seal of the Spirit, the help of the Spirit, there's more. Jesus tells of a life that overflows with living, vibrant water. Water that could clean even that sewage water you saw. There's a water that comes from God that could clean it all out in a second. It's a picture of the peace, of the power, of the joy that comes from Christ through us and that it touches other people. You look at Johnny's life. Would you agree that it's touching other people? I want it to just touch New Jersey. Much as New Jersey. No, I'm not going to say it. Because um, he said no jokes. JB said no jokes about that. So... I'm not. I used to go to the Jersey Shore when I was a kid, and I liked it. So just so you know. John 7, 38, he who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So this gate represents waters of the life in the Holy Spirit. Not just the indwelling of the Spirit, but the overflow of the Spirit. Does that make sense? The baptism, the immersion of the Spirit. See, this is not a well. It's not just a well. You ever seen a well? It puts a bucket down. It sits flat. But a fountain does what? It bubbles up. It stays all... You have to have, in your fish tank, you have to have the bubbles flowing so it doesn't become stagnant. A fountain isn't stagnant. A well can be. The work of the Spirit... It moves out from our life. It doesn't stay in one place. It saturates us, but it also touches others. And people can see it. They can see the overflow. Notice that the fountain gate is north of the dung gate. That's a good thing too, isn't it? You don't want the dung gate above the fountain gate. The refuge gate is, is south of it. The fountain gate is north. The dirt and the filth should always be going out. But the refreshing water should always be coming in. Amen? Something has to be coming in. You say, well, I get rid of all the bad stuff and they replace it with neutral stuff. That'll just become idolatry in no time flat. Amen? 
the neutral stuff has to re be replaced with the supernatural stuff of the Holy Spirit. Understand that the fountain gate, the spirit-filled life, isn't for just the really spiritual people and the really surrendered people. It's for all believers, because all believers are to be surrendered. All believers are to be spirit-filled. Ephesians 5.18, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote that to the whole church. A.W. Tozer said the spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. Not a deluxe version. God wants all of us filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what the fountain gate represents. Let's take a look at the next one, the water gate. Not the hotel. Um, some of the younger kids are like, what, what is that all about? That's in the 70s, kid. Read your history books. Go back. And... The water gate, the fountain gate, and the pool there was not interesting. You have this fountain, and it fed this beautiful pool. But the fountain gate and the pool of Shalom there, it was not the primary water supply for the city's daily water needs. They had an aqueduct that came down, because, of course, it could use gravity, and would come down and slope into the city. And the rest had to be carried in clay jars. That's a lot of fun, right? You guys in India probably see people have to carry water back. They don't always have plumbing. If you go on some of the mission trips that we've been to in Central America, they don't always have water coming in. You've got to go get it, put it up on your shoulder. Some of the ladies pop it right on their head. I don't know how they do this. They balance amazingly. They walk with it and just bring the water right back that way. But this was the gate in which the water was supposed to come through, through the water gate, not only the aqueduct, but also that that had to be carried in. The water gate symbolizes the Word of God. The Word of God. You say, well, I, I, how, how do you figure? Did you come up with this? No, I didn't. It's in the Bible. Just as it took effort and planning to build the aqueduct, and channel the water, the Word of God has to be intentionally brought into your life. No one will read your Bible for you. You can get up and you can eat cornflakes and your Bible will not float over to you, <laughs> open itself up, and just start reading itself. Now, I guess you can say, Alexa, please read my Bible for me or something <laughs> like that. And uh, now you can do something along those lines. So now it's been made really easy, I guess. But, but that's not, again, that's not the intentionality God's looking for, is he? He wants us to open it, bring it into our life. The word of God has to be intentionally brought in. But what happens with the word of God? Why, why is the water gate representative of the word of God? Well, it's very clear through scripture this is exactly what it is. The word of God nourishes us. It cleanses us. It is complementary to the fountain gate because it's complementary to the Spirit of God. Did you know that the Spirit of God and the Word of God always work together? Amen. The Spirit of God and the Word of God always work together. The Holy Spirit is present here. He spoke through Johnny. He spoke through the worship team. He's speaking through me. Not because of us, but in spite of us, I would add. But the Word is central to the worship songs we sang, central to the reason Johnny went to... India, central to the reason I'm preaching this morning. Other than that, we might as well close the doors and go home if the Word wasn't true and the Spirit wasn't living and active. But this intentionality 
as we do this, say, Lord, we're going to open your word, bring it into our life. The word does an amazing work. Jesus said, these are his actual words. Red letter in your Bible, John 17, 17. Jesus said these words, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify, set them apart by the word. He said, the word is how they're set apart. Ephesians 5, 26. Paul speaking of the ministry of Jesus in our life. Listen to what Paul says. You might have forgotten this. We were in Ephesians not that long ago. But Paul says this, that he might sanctify and cleanse her, being the church, by the washing of the water of the what? Word. That the church is cleansed by the word of God. If the word of God is not preached, we start saying, you know what? There's, we don't need all, all that Bible from the pulpit. We should read some really good authors. There's no cleansing. The word does the cleansing. The word is like the water. The word's like pouring out a hose and rinsing off a boot that has mud all over it. That's what the word does. Psalm 119, you can read the whole chapter. The whole chapter is about the work of the word in our lives. It's at the ministry of God's word in us. The word of God is so important. When you know, We've got uh, upcoming Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day. I'm hoping, I'm praying, I'm hoping you're praying. When you're inviting people, invite neighbors or whatever. People come to faith in Jesus Christ. But you know when they come to faith, that's not the end of it. And now they have to grow. And you know what they need to grow? The Word of God. Billy Graham said, we need, he just went home to be with the Lord recently, we need to encourage new believers to feed on God's Word. It is nourishment for the soul. That's what he said. It's true. There is no other nourishment soul. No one can live without water, and no believer can live without the Word of God. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You can live without food. You can't live without God. And God is manifested by his word through the work of his Holy Spirit. Fountain gate, water gate, work hand in hand. There is zero substitute for the word of God. If there's no Bible, there's no faith. If there's no faith, there's no victory. There's no victory in our life outside of the word of God. Romans 10, 17, I quote this verse to myself so often. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You need a jump start of faith, you've got to get in the word. You're thirsty, you've got to get in the word. Well, I'm not thirsty, you've got to get in the word. You know they say you're supposed to drink water even when you're not thirsty? Same with the Bible. But Christians seem to think, well, that makes sense with water, but I don't think it makes sense with Bible, so I don't really have time. Uh, but somehow I found a lot of time to surf my phone. Right? We need the water. It's got to be intentional. It's got to be brought into our life. Charles Spurgeon said a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. <laughs> and that's true. Scripture activated us by the Holy Spirit, that washing of the water of the Word that Jesus talks about, that nourishing of it, activated by the Holy Spirit and by prayer, that fountain gate, the water gate, working hand in hand, is always the determining factor. Always. If I talk to someone, I'm counseling with them, and I almost invariably, if their life is completely falling apart, I'm not talking about things that happened to them. Our child got sick, you know, someone uh, had a heart attack. I'm not talking about things that happened. I'm talking about things brought in by themselves Almost invariably say, are you in the word? It's almost always, 95% of the time, no, 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 no. Or no answer at all, and then I know the answer. 
It's always a determining factor in us seeing steady, consistent progress and growth. You will never, if you're planting a tree this spring, you decide that you're not going to give it any water, and you're actually, if you shielded it from water, there's no chance you're going to not be successful with that. You don't have to be a horticulturist to know this, right? It needs soil. It needs sun. It needs, uh, it needs rain. Let's take a look, uh, look at the next gate. We looked at the water gate, the fountain gate, the horse gate. You're like, what is this all about, right? Maybe you're thinking, what could this mean? Are believers to take up horseback riding? Yes, I finally can give them to my husband. We're supposed to have horseback, romantic horseback ride together, right? You know, <laughs> Outer Banks, don't ride the wild ones. They don't like that, by the way. Uh, they won't take kindly to you jumping on their back, and you'll get arrested, by the way, in the Outer Banks for that. But it's not about horseback. It's not that you're supposed to take up an interest in the upcoming Kentucky Derby or rodeos, although those are fun. This, believers are to understand that in Bible times, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, this had not changed. Even when Jesus had come, so you've got, you know, this is hundreds of years before Christ arrives on the scene physically. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, did you know what horses were for in those days? War. Horses were always for war. Horses, you ever read in your Bible and you're reading in the Old Testament, it says, horse, mighty in battle or something like that, right? Horses were war animals, war horses. They were, they were used, they put, they put the same armor on horses. You had a cavalry, you had chariots. Men that, men that could shoot arrows while riding horseback. You know, horses at that time, they didn't think of them as, uh, you know, just petting the horse and feeding it a carrot and you know, pictures of calendars and all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> Calendar horses and all that, Clydesdales, pulling the Budweiser truck or whatever else it is, you know. None of that was, that wasn't the horse. War. The same symbolism is used in Revelation chapter 6. But for the believer, we're told in Ephesians chapter 6, um, oh, turn to Revelation 6 real quick. You can see for yourself. In Revelation 6. Um, you'll see even it's a metaphor for the coming great wars to come. But obviously if it's a gate here, it's not a negative here. Because, well, we'll get to that in a second, why it's not a negative. But uh, you'll see um, in, in Revelation chapter 6, Verse 2, and behold, I looked a white horse, and him who sat on it had a bow, right? Same picture. In ancient times, men that were great with bow and arrow could ride a horse and hit you while you're moving all at the same time on a horse. Native American Indians could do the same. Uh, amazing stuff. A crown was given, he went out and conquering to conquer. That's the Antichrist, going out to conquer the world and using war as one of the means. Verse 4 and a, a, a horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who said, take peace from the earth. War again, killing the sword. So right in your Bibles there, you can see that uh, this metaphor for the horse and war is found in the Scriptures as well as it was understood during that same time. But why is the horse gate not a negative here for us as believers? It's, uh, it's a positive thing. It is a proactive thing. It's the Spirit of God telling us to do something. 
And it's found in Ephesians 6. He's told to put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God. We're in a battle. As A.W. Tozer said, the world's not a playground. It's a battleground. We're in a battle. In 2 Timothy 2, 3, Paul writes to Timothy and says, to endure hardness as a good what? Not a horse, but a soldier. Because the horse and the soldier were synonymous with war. To endure hardness as a good soldier. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, he told Timothy to fight the good fight. Did you know Satan's fighting hard? Yeah. We, were, we had a great night of prayer. Friday night we had 15 or so sets of parents. Uh, awesome night with our, our youth were here. Uh, we had all, you know, I think we had uh, three quarters of every parent with the teens. And we had an awesome time of prayer together. And we were talking about, you know, God's got a plan for your teen's life, but so does Satan. And Satan's fighting against us, but we're to fight back with the Word of God, with the Spirit of God, but we have to determine that we're in a battle. We have, this is what the horse gate is about. It's about understanding and saying, Lord, I'm ready for the battle. I'm ready, not in my own strength, but I'm ready in your strength. And the mindset, the Bible tells us to prepare the mind for action, to prepare the mind for action. Um, for you to get here to, this morning, you had to prepare in advance, say, you probably decided last night, we're going to church tomorrow. That means we've got to get up a certain time, we've got to get dressed. And the same thing, we have to put on the whole armor of God. There is an action every day to say, I'm going back into the battle. Satan doesn't take a day off. He's a spirit. He doesn't get tired like we do. We have to go to bed early enough to pray the next day. All of these things are putting on the armor of God. The horse gate meant that the city had to have a battle-ready mentality we have to have a battle, not, again, not battling other Christians. This is the thing that happens in the church. We have to be unified as one. We're battling even not human beings. We're not even battling ISIS or communism. We're battling spiritual wickedness in high places. There's an enemy that fights against us, and we need to grab hold of the Lord and him to make us fit for the battle. Because we don't bring any strength to the table, do we? Do you think Satan's impressed by someone say, oh, I watched the world's strongest man and this guy just, uh, uh, just lifted a truck or whatever else? You know, you've seen these things. You know that Satan doesn't, he looks at that, that doesn't matter to him one bit, but he sees some 90-year-old woman that can pray. She's ready for battle. Horse gate. Let's look at the next one, the east gate. The east gate. Oh, this is maybe my favorite gate. The east gate was the first gate opened every morning. Remember, all these gates that we're looking at today sit on the east side of the wall. The east gate was the first gate opened every morning. It was the first one opened because it faced directly towards the rising of the sun. It's right looking due east. The watchmen on the wall, you ever heard, you read, read the Old Testament, you see watchmen on the wall? They would stay up all night and watch. First of all, they'd watch for danger, but they also would watch for the first glimmer of the sun to come over the Mount of Olives. First glimmer of sun, because with light, once it got light enough, they could say, open up the east gate. But you couldn't say it. Now, by the way, the, the 
you know, the time changes. Sunrise is a little different every day, right? Because only, only when you're at the equator do they get the same time every day. But rest of the, you know, most of the rest of the world, you know, you've got a little change. So you have to have someone watching when, that, when it's just light enough to open up that gate, waiting for that first sign of dawn. In Malachi chapter 4, the verse that I, that I love that I also think of often when I go for prayer walks or I run early in the morning, but to you who fear my name, the sun, S-U-N, just like the, the physical burning sun, the sun of capital righteousness shall arise with healing in his wing. Now, we know this can't be speaking of that big ball of fire out there that the earth is rotating around because it's called the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness, and he will rise with healing in his wings. Who, who could that be about? Well, of course, we're about to celebrate it in just a couple Sundays from now. Jesus, who rose on the first day of the week. By the way, this year, Resurrection Day, it's on April 1st, the first day of the month. It's kind of cool. But Jesus rose early on the first day of the week. He rose just before the sun rose. Jesus rose while it was still dark. Then the sun rose. Scriptures are clear on that. And he rose with healing in his nail-pierced hands. He said before he died, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you. I would have gathered you like a hen gathers in the chicks. That's wings. Those who wait on the Lord shall mount up with wings as eagles. We will rise. Someday you will finally get to fly without the help of United. Right? Or Southwest or anybody else. Because Jesus will, will be caught up together with him in the air. He'll rise with healing in his wings. And as Malachi 4.2 alludes to, even as you look to the east every morning, if you want to see a sunrise and you go to the beach, guess which way you got to look? No matter where, what beach you go anywhere in the world, you got to look where? East. Now, if the beach like the Mediterranean Israel faces west, you're going to have to face towards the mountains instead because it rises over the mountains instead of the beach there. You have to look east. And it's a reminder that the S, Malachi 4.2, the sun rising with heels in its wings, it's a reminder that the S-O-N, son of man, son of God, son of righteousness himself, he dispels the darkness with his rising. Didn't he do that? When Jesus rose from the dead, darkness was canceled out. Just like the sun, when the sun rises, I don't care how dark it was at 4 a.m. When the sun rises, it's not dark anymore. Do you realize, you ever notice that even on a cloudy day, it's no longer dark? The sun, you may not be able to see it, but you're able to drive to work because it's light enough. And when Jesus rises, the darkness is dispelled. Jesus, that final, final Passover week, did you know he came from the east that final Passover week? He comes down the Mount of Olives which is due east. He comes down the Mount of Olives on that little donkey from the east. He's coming from the east towards the city. His descent is down the Mount of Olives from the east. And you could have watched, if you were standing in the east gate, you could have watched him come straight down. You would say, what is all this fanfare about? People waving palm branches and celebrating, and he's coming down directly from the east. That's not an accident, by the way. 
because another Eastern arrival is coming. Another Eastern arrival is coming. Today, the East Gate is closed and sealed. I took this picture when we were in Israel back in 2013. That's the East Gate today. It's the only gate that is still built on the exact spot as all the original East Gates, because that's not the uh, that gate was rebuilt by the Ottoman Turks. But underneath is Solomon's East Gate underneath there, which would have been the same gate that Nehemiah rebuilt. It's the only all the other gates are not on the exact same spot. They could be 20 feet down, 100 yards down. They're not, but this gate is on the exact same spot as the East Gate always has been. God has preserved the location of the East Gate. It stays right where it is. And that's it's sealed today. It was sealed by Suleiman the Magnificent of the Ottoman Empire. He had commanded that Jerusalem's ancient walls be rebuilt, but during the building project, he ordered that the eastern gate be sealed shut and sealed up with stone. This fulfilled the uh, prophecy of Ezekiel 44, verses 1 and 2. I think I have those verses here. And yes, then he brought me back to the outer gates, the sanctuary, which faces towards the east, but it was shut. Prophetically, the Bible said that the east gate would someday be sealed, that it would someday be shut, and of course it is. No man shall open it. No man shall enter it because the Lord of Israel has shut it. And he's the only one, that, by the way, able to enter it. <laughs> then in the 43rd chapter, also in Ezekiel, afterward he brought me to the gate, the gate which faces towards the east. And behold, the glory of God, the God of Israel, came from the way of the east. The glory of God comes from the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters. And the earth shone with his glory. By the way, John describes Jesus' voice also as the sound of many waters. Jesus came down Passover week from the east. The glory of God will come from the east. But there's even one other thing. As we looked way back towards the original intent of the gate, it was where the rising of the sun was, right? Early morning, watchman on the wall, watching the watchman waiting for the light to dawn. The church was waiting for Christ to dawn. The original intent was literally the gate was there for uh, purposes of bringing people in. But we understand that these verses in Ezekiel, they're talking about all the way into the millennium reign of Christ. We understand it's re uh, relation to the resurrection, the dawning of Jesus and dispelling the darkness. But there's another imminent approach coming from the east. Did you know that? There's yet one more. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 27, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus could come from any direction, but he's coming flashing, he said, from east to west. Because all of this fulfills the picture that God is saying, that when he ri the, his rising of the sun, God has always been about dispelling the evil and the darkness and we look east because we're looking. He said, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. We're looking in that direction. Everything about the east gate points to the people of God daily looking to the coming of God and him establishing his kingdom as king of kings and lord of lords. Everything about the east gate says, look, over, look every morning. Look to him for light. Look to him for protection. Look to him for his coming. 
Jesus said to watch and be ready. Are you watching and ready? Are you sleeping? Because he could come at any moment. Are you rising daily to meet with the Lord in his presence, knowing that the first light you should receive is from the Lord? Are you looking for his return? Let's look at the final gate this morning, and that would be the inspection gate or the Mifkad gate, as it says here uh, in chapter 3. The Mifkad, it means to review or to register. That's what the word means, to review or to register. This gate, it was like a customs gate. You ever gone through customs? You ever traveled internationally and you have to go through customs? It's like a customs gate for those coming into the city but did not live in the city. They were visiting. Or maybe they were coming there to live and they wanted to live in the city, but they still would have to first come through this gate. You had to present yourself here to the magistrates before you could enter the city. Everyone coming to visit or saying, we want to move back to, to Jerusalem from Persia, you'd have to come to the inspection gate first. This was also the gate that was used for returning soldiers that had come from battle. They had the horse gate, but coming back, they'd come to the inspection gate to be reviewed. King David, by most uh, you know, rabbis, was considered the greatest king in the kingdom, kingdom of Israel, Solomon being the richest, but David being the greatest. But King David would meet at this gate, at the inspection gate, to meet the soldiers returning. This is the gate that he would review them. He would show his appreciation and inspect the returning troops from battle. Jesus, who's greater than David, the king of kings, will someday welcome us at a gate. Did you know that? And he will also inspect our work. And he's going to review our life. And he's going to reveal everything in our life. And that will be every bit as real as the building we're gathered in right now. In some senses, it, well, more than some, it's more real than the building we're in right now. Because this is a vapor, that won't be a vapor. Romans 10, I mean, Romans 14, 10, Paul reminds the church, and it's other places in the New Testament, but he says, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I remind the church every so often, you think your annual review is a big deal? Wait till you have your lifetime review. You won't be worried about a bonus standing in front of Jesus. You won't be worried about, man, I wish I would have sent that email. You'll be worried that you didn't send that email. All right, no, I'm kidding. We will literally come face to face with the Lord and we'll give an account of him inside the gates of his kingdom provided that we belong to him. Turn with me one more time in Revelation. Revelation chapter 24. Revelation chapter 24. I want you to see this in your own Bibles. How the gates here are paralleled in the New Testament scriptures and specifically here in Revelation. The gates are even mentioned the literal gates of Nehemiah become the metaphoric gates of the Christian life, but then there will be real gates again. So you have real, revealed, back to real, if you will. Revelation chapter 22. Sorry, did I say 24? There is no 24. There's 24 hours, but there's not 24. It's 22, 
Sorry, I glanced down. It's 22, verse 14. You're getting worried here. I didn't add to the scriptures, folks. Chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 14. Did you find it there? Okay. Stop looking for chapter 24. Chapter 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to eat of the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Red letter, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify you these things in the what? Churches. Here's where the Old Testament, New Testament comes together. The gates there are the gates that we are guarding and preparing in our own life. I am the root and the offspring of who? David. David. Who met the soldiers at the gate? David did. The bright and morning star. See, all the scriptures are written by the Holy Spirit. God's not, you know, when God writes the Bible, he's in the book of Nehemiah and he's in the book of Revelation at the same time. And he's in the work of the church age right now. So he wants us to live out these gates but also look forward to the fact that we're going to walk through these gates and meet our king and our judge. And if we love Jesus, you know, he's not going to judge us for all the things we didn't do right, but he is going to give us rewards for what we did do right. Or he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. The best way to be ready for the inspection, the Mithcod gate to come, if you will, don't forget the sheep gate starting off with, right? It always starts... Remember verse 32 finishes there, verse 1. It always goes back to remembering the blood of Jesus. Don't forget the blood. Don't forget the blood. Don't forget the blood. I'm crucified with Christ. It always goes back. If we can remember the sheep gate, we're probably going to be ready for the inspection gate. Because the sheep gate, then it stirs us. It reminds us, don't forget the blood of Jesus. Don't forget to be a light and share your faith, the fish gate. Don't forget to remember God's faithfulness of old, the old gate. Don't forget, don't throw in the towel in the valleys. Don't throw in the towel in the valleys. It's always too soon to quit. Yea, I am with you, even in the valley of the shadow of death, right? right? Endure, look up daily and confess and be cleansed there at the refuse gate or the dung gate. Remain and abide in the Spirit at the fountain gate. Continue in the word of God. Meditate on it at the water gate. Determine to fight the good fight at the horse gate. And boldly proclaim the name of Christ in that battle-ready mindset. And expectantly look to his return at the east gate and be ready by daily inspecting our lives now for the inspection to come did you know that Paul wrote in Galatians 6, 4, but let each one examine his work. We're to examine our work. The Bible says if we judge ourselves, we wouldn't be judged. If we would be honest, what I tell you as a pastor, and one of the things that I love, 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 is when you meet someone who's growing, they will finally be honest. They will finally say, I am not doing what I know God's called me to do. Did you know when you can finally say that, not just to you in your own mind, but to another believer, you'll start to break chains. 
when you can finally look someone in the eye and say, I've got to start reading the word. I'm not. I'm going to tell you I'm not. I'm being honest. I don't pray, but I want to. Will you pray with me right now? Boom. Chains start falling off. We examine ourselves first. Then, in Psalm 100, uh, Psalm 100, verse 4, this can be true in our life. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that we can enter your courts with thanks and praise. You've given us these gates to rebuild, to restore, to repair. But Lord, not in our own strength, but you've given us the help of the Holy Spirit to do it. Lord, I know that you're not looking at this group of people, myself included, you're not looking condemning. You're saying, come up. I'll bring you a little further. I'll help you rebuild these gates. I'll, I'll cleanse you at the refuse gate. I'll fill you at the fountain gate. Lord, you'll wash and nourish us at the water gate. Each of these things, Lord, we will become expectant and ready. And Lord, we just ask that you would do the work of each of these, starting with the blood of the Lamb, reminding us that each of these things you want to fulfill in our life. Lord, on behalf of myself and all of us, Lord, forgive us of our excuses. Lord, we're sorry. Lord, help us to be honest with you, honest with each other, and Lord, see victory in our life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.